Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Yeah, we're two weeks out from Christmas. That means we're halfway through our Christmas series. Can you believe that? Two weeks out? Did that strike anybody by surprise when we said that this morning? Two weeks. Yikes. Uh, This morning's sermon is entitled, Joy Beyond a Wish. Joy Beyond a Wish. I was thinking about the wise men following that star. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today if you want to turn there. That was the reading reminder for this past week. Hopefully you took the time to read that passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 2. I was thinking about that star and I was thinking about Christmas wishes and I was thinking about Jiminy Cricket. When you is, you know, you know that song, how he does that? Upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Do adults make wishes still? Do you still write a wish list for Santa? Anybody do that? No, no. Okay, no. Don't say that. Don't talk about Santa. Wish lists. What do we wish for in this season? Joy beyond a wish. Uh, In the words of the great theologian Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is, we made it to Micmac Mall on Friday. Um, Yeah, wow, because we just love the Christmas spirit that sitting in endless traffic and finding a parking space and being in claustrophobic crowds and paying inflated prices at the mall really inspires within you. Just gets you really excited for Christmas. We got into the mall and Elsie pointed out um, Woody the Christmas tree is all set up and on full display. You should take the kids and go check it out so that mommy can do Christmas shopping without the kids and daddy talking about how hungry they are or whatever. So we rode the escalator down and we saw Woody there and he's got his big eyes that kind of turn. They only turn one way and the, the eyelashes flap and his bottom mouth goes down. And I tried to tell the kids, you know, there's a guy sitting in a booth that's doing that. But, uh, you know, you don't want to steal the, the magic of Christmas away from the children. So we sat on the floor in the middle of the hallway of the mall and watched as kid after kid stepped up in front of Woody, stood on the sticker where it says stand here, and then there's two microphones, and they talked to Woody. And the parents walked them up and encourage them. Some of the kids are shy. They don't know what to say. They're too quiet. Woody has to ask them to speak up. Some of the kids are overly aggressive and loud into the microphone and with some of the decorations. That was kind of funny to see. But what really struck me was the parents who would wait in line with their kids, big line, pay the fee, bring their kids up to, and if you did this, that's totally fine. But what really struck me is that the parents were almost more excited about it than the kids were. Like some of those kids were crying in tears, didn't want to say anything, and their parents standing behind coaxing them, okay, talk to the weird magic Christmas tree. <laughs> and Woody would always ask them, you know, what's your, what are you wishing for this Christmas? What's your Christmas list for Santa? What do you want for Christmas? And the parents would be taking photos and filming the whole thing and standing back and kneeling down and smiling and laughing. The parents were enjoying it more than the kids. You've seen those pictures of kids who get their photo taken with mall Santas and they're just crying and screaming in the photo like, ah, and Santa's trying to hold them and you get the photo. Why, why do we do that? Is it, could it be because adults 
are trying to remember and trying to find the joy that they experienced as a child, and it just seems a little more difficult and forced at this stage in the game? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Guinevere, are you up for helping me? All right, come on up. We're, we're looking at door number three this week. Do you think you can get that one? I told her it was the one that's like frozen themed from the movie. Yeah, you knew which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's in there this week? Ooh, do you know what that is? Christmas wish book. Christmas wish book. Have you heard about the Christmas wish book before? No, no of course you haven't. Thank you. Thank you for your help today. <laughs> Christmas wish book. Do you remember these? Yeah, okay, you're with me. You know what I'm talking about. There was something that stirred up in your heart when you, when you saw Christmas wish book. This actually isn't a Christmas wish book. This is a library book that my son got from the library because I can't find a Christmas wish book. I started asking a month ago. I asked a bunch of people, do you have a Christmas wish book? Maybe your grandparents have a Christmas wish book. Checked around. Nobody has a Christmas wish book. Anybody have a Christmas wish book at home? Oh, Carrie, I should have checked with you. Why didn't I think of that? I looked online. I thought maybe I could buy one. If you try and buy a mint condition Christmas wish book prior to 19, the mid-1980s, you're looking at upwards of $300. Now you're all thinking, do I have a Christmas wish book at home? I'm going to go and check. <laughs> do you remember getting these as a kid? They would come like... August, September, well before the Christmas season. This is what I used as a kid to flip through the pages and make my wish list for Santa. My sisters and I would do that and write it down and mom went along with it because, hey, the kids are going to tell me exactly what they want for Christmas. That's a real help. Perfect. And it was full of toys and winter wonder and the cover page was always this beautiful, nostalgic Christmas scene. Do you know that Sears was putting out catalogs since the late 1800s, 1880 something is when they put out their first seasonal catalogs. And then the Christmas catalog, I think it was called the Christmas catalog or the Christmas book, Christmas book, it came out in 1933, 90 years old this year. Can you believe that? This, this is the cover of the original up here on screen. The Sears Christmas book, the very first one, and it quickly became synonymous with book of wishes. So they called it the wish book because whatever you wished for, it was in there. It brought the department store to you wherever you were at long before the internet age. And then the internet age came. <laughs> but this is the very first one. Do you know what toys were featured in the 1933 Christmas wish book? Christmas book? Um, let's see here. The very first Sears wish book, known as the Sears Christmas book catalog, came out in 1933. It featured items in this first catalog, which included Miss Pigtail's doll. Anybody have a Miss Pigtail's doll? No? Yeah? Yes? Ethel had one. Really? Wow. Ethel is our oldest member as part of Faith Baptist Church. And that's true. So that's really cool. Very cool. Uh, Miss Pigtail's doll, an electric battery-powered toy automobile, buck 98, can you imagine? Uh, Mickey Mouse watch, which is lower down in the image, but it didn't fit on the screen. Fruit cakes, buy a fruit cake from the Christmas catalog, why not? Lionel electric trains, anybody have any of those? Do you remember them? 
Okay. Uh, five pound box of chocolates. That's cool, isn't it? Was it like a wooden box, like a crate? Five pounds of chocolate. And then get this one. And featured item on the front cover, live singing canaries. How would they get those to you? Did they put them in a cage and ship them to rural Canadians around the country? Um, many people nostalgically think of the wish book as filled with toys for children, but this original copy, 1933, 25 pages were dedicated to kids' toys. How many pages do you think were dedicated to adult toys and products? 62. Two and a half times the amount of Christmas toys and products and wish list items for adults compared to 25 for children. Do adults wish for things at Christmas? I think Sears knew that they did and capitalized on it. Adults have more wish options than kids. Adults, we wish. We sure do, don't we? A wish is a strong desire for something that seems unattainable. Joy can sometimes seem unattainable. Would you agree with me there? Often our wishes are just wrapped up in a search for joy. What's going to bring me joy? The wise men were on a search for the good news of great joy that Dave and Ann read this morning from Luke chapter 2 that we talked about last week. Good news of great joy. They were on a search chasing after it, trying to find it. And it was good news of great joy that would be for all the people. So this gift that we're talking about, good news of great joy, had everybody's name on it. Even magi from the east were included in this good news of great joy for all the people. Matthew chapter 2, start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. This is after Jesus was born, right? Some people speculate up to two years after Jesus was born. Some people think that it had to have been before Jesus was presented at the temple. That's a pretty broad spectrum, and we really don't know how old Jesus was at this point or how long it took, but it was a journey. The wise men had to travel from the east, following the star, to get to Bethlehem. So it took some time. It took some searching. It took a journey. Magi, the term magi. King Nebuchadnezzar had a bunch of magi. Jeremiah chapter 39 is where you can look it up. But one of the people on his chief council was Rob Madge. I don't know how you pronounce that. But it was like the leader of the Magi. The chief of the wise men was on King Nebuchadnezzar's council. And then you jump into the New Testament and magi was kind of used as a slang term at times, uh, meaning sorcerer or witchcraft, Simon the sorcerer. You can read about him in the New Testament. Uh, but Plato understood the term magi to mean observers of the heavens, students of the secrets of nature. 
Benson, in his commentary, he says the term magi was frequently given to philosophers or men of learning, particularly those that were curious in examining the works of nature and observing the motions of the heavenly bodies. We don't know exactly where the wise men came from. Um, could have been Arabia, because it was to the east of Bethlehem. We don't know if there were three, although there are three specific gifts later in the story. Arabia is also known for gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't, we don't know if they were kings. They were looking for something. We, we don't know if they were representations of three sons of Noah. That's the first time I'd heard that. Uh, we don't know if they were named Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Apparently that's from some apocryphal writings. We don't even know if they rode on camels. We don't know. But we do know that they were seekers. They were looking for something. When they saw the star, they knew something was different. There was something worth chasing after. There was something worth finding. There was something worth the trip to see, see what was on the other side. Why would that matter to the, to the Magi? A new king, a, a new hope, a new possibility. Why would they care? I mean, these guys were probably wealthy. They probably had prestige. They were really, really smart, really wise. They probably had position. Why are they searching for something more? If they already have all of that, why are they searching for something more? Well, you can hear stories about that all the time. People who have risen to the top who find out, oh, it's empty at the top and there's still a void. There's still something that I'm searching for. Being at the top didn't secure eternal joy. Actually, it just made those cravings all the much more. What were they searching for? I think that speaks to everyone, especially at Christmas. What are you wishing for? People are searching. You can see it in their eyes. It's more than just searching for the perfect gift. They're searching for more. You can see it in their lifestyle. You can see it in the choices people make, the things people believe. They're looking. They're trying to fill that void with things, and it keeps coming up short. The wise men were looking. They were trying to find anything to fill that void and longing in their heart. Even here in Atlanta, Canada, with all of our affluence, with all of our resources, with all of our freedoms, with all of our liberties... All the opportunities, the privileges we have here in this part of the world, people are desperately searching for more than ever, it seems. Joy seems like the most unattainable and elusive desire. Maybe you're thinking, joy? Like, why are we talking about joy? I'm just trying to make it through the month. I'm just trying to make it through the bills. I'm just trying to finish the year so I can maybe have some hope of something new next year. I'm just trying to make it through all the relational tension. I'm just trying to get by. Why are we talking about joy? We should be talking about peace. Well, Lord willing, Steve is going to be talking about peace next week. So you should definitely come back to hear that. Before you met Jesus, do you remember what it was like to search for purpose? For meaning? For satisfaction? For something to fill the void? For joy? Do you remember that emptiness? Do you remember the places you would go to desperately searching to try and find that joy? Maybe, maybe you found pleasure in the moment and it turned to pain the next morning. 
We're going to define joy a little bit later, but I, I think when most people hear the word joy, they think of laughter and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and excitement and fun and children and loud and family and Christmas. They think of like all of the dramatic, emphatic, emotional projection of what we deem joy or happiness. That's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of joy, isn't it? A joyful attitude really sticks out. When you watch the faces at the mall, the faces in the people waiting at the grocery store, the faces on the drivers who are stuck in traffic, a joyful attitude really sticks out, doesn't it? A smile, a laugh. People want to know where to find it. Laughter is a contagious thing. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you laughed. It's a universal language. Like when our team goes down to Honduras the end of next month, that's going to be one of the ways I'm hoping to communicate. I told the team, I'm going to try and learn some Spanish, but I'm only going to learn enough funny phrases that I can repeat them over and over and over again and hopefully get a laugh, and, and that'll be a communication tactic. I don't know. I'll let you know how it works. But a smile is a universal language, isn't it? It's the most attractive thing somebody can wear. Laughter, smiling, a positive demeanor. It speaks a lot to other people. But is that all that joy is? Is it just laughter and smiles and a positive demeanor? What do we mean when we're talking about joy? That was the thought behind the wish book. If they could just get these images of people smiling and laughing and having a holly jolly joyous time, it would intrigue people. It would get people curious. It would communicate a lot to people. You see, these, these Sears wish books weren't really about the products. It was more about the feeling that the product gave you. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter the little plastic toy soldier. It's the kids who are playing with the plastic toy soldier whose eyes are glowing and faces are wide and they're so excited. That's what gets kids excited, isn't it? My friends had this toy at school and they were playing with it and they were having so much fun. Well, it, it's the fun that their friends were experiencing, not necessarily the product themselves. And so the Sears Wishbook capitalized on this. Let's put all of these images of holly jolly joyous happy and people will buy that. And it worked. Six billion dollars of revenue a year at its peak. Six billion a year. The Sears Christmas catalog. You can't find joy on a department store shelf with your credit card. You know how I know that? I've tried it. I know you know it because you've tried it. And we're going to try it all over again this year, aren't we? Is it going to secure joy? Is it going to last? Is it going to stick around? You can watch social experiments where people laugh out loud and people smile for no reason and it gets a response from other people. People gravitate towards these images of holly jolly and this feeling. There's, it resonates with us. We want more of it. We search for it. We go to the stores. Now we go to Amazon.ca. We go to Alibaba.com. I don't know what you're your site is that you go to, but we look for it, don't we? We search for it, especially at Christmas. We're on the hunt for that, that perfect gift. The wise men figured their search for the newborn king would lead them to the capital city. Of course, 
the star, if it is for a newborn king, it's going to lead us to a palace, right? In the capital city, in Jerusalem, with the nobility, with the royal family, with the throne, with the throne room, that's where we're going to find a king. And the wise men show up in Jerusalem asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come that we might worship him. Of course, they're going to go to the palace. Isn't that where we go to try and fill the void that we're searching for? We, we think we know where to find it and we keep going back to those places and we end up empty. That's not where we find joy. You can't find joy on the shelf of a department store. You can't find it in the clearance section, Princess Auto, although that's the closest I've come. <laughs> I find it kind of ironic and humorous that Gentiles traveled from afar, following a star, to announce Jesus' birth to his own people. Think about that. The promised one, the chosen one, God's chosen people, and it takes these wise men from the east, wherever that is, Arabia maybe, traveling from afar, following a star, coming to the king's palace and saying, where is he? You know, I think the implication is they thought everybody would know. They thought everybody was going to be searching for the newborn king. Where is he? It's like, who are you looking for? Well, the king, of course. We saw his star. We've come to worship him. Haven't you? And it takes Gentiles from a Far East country to announce the birth of the Messiah to God's own people. Isn't there kind of some shame and embarrassment in that? Have you ever experienced that? And I know you've never experienced that because, man, you're so sanctified and so far on your journey with Jesus. Maybe it's just me. But when a new person comes to faith in Christ and they have all this excitement and enthusiasm and they're saying things like, wow, can you believe it? Jesus died for my sins. He's given me new life and purpose and hope. And now it's my opportunity and responsibility and privilege to tell that to the world. And you've known this for decades? It's like, um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Don't you feel some shame and embarrassment there? The joy of a new believer, and then your heart is like, oh, where's my joy? What am I missing? Verse 3. Oh boy, we're only at verse 3. Let's go. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, prophet Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, if you want to read it there. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I didn't realize that verse 3 mentioned all the people. All of Jerusalem. The whole city. When, when I heard this story being read over the years, I just pictured King Herod in a big rage, in pride, wanting to hold his throne. And who's this who's going to usurp my throne? And he's all upset. But verse 3 says, all of Jerusalem was troubled. Why were they troubled? Why weren't they excited? 
I mean, two weeks ago, we talked about hope. Two weeks ago, I read this passage, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, at the end of the sermon time. And we were talking about the long-awaited Messiah, the future hope. Well, here he is, and his own people in Jerusalem are troubled. The whole city. Why are they troubled? It's so ironic that the religious leaders were able to tell Herod in short order where Jesus was to be born. Don't you find that ironic? Why, why is the king of the Jews, the king in Jerusalem, Herod, unable to determine where Jesus is to be born? I mean, this scripture was written hundreds of years ago. And his scribes and his chief priests are able to say, oh yeah, right here, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. This is where the ruler will be born. I just find that ironic. Why didn't he know? Why did he even have to ask the question? You know, that is the best way to find Jesus, by the way, is to search the scriptures. Have somebody else show you from the scriptures who Jesus is, what he's meant in their life, the difference he's made, and to show you from the scriptures. Jesus is the word made flesh. So going back to scripture is the best place to find Jesus. If they used prophecies about the Messiah to find Jesus, why didn't they believe Jesus to be the Messiah? If Herod is looking to his chief priests and his scribes and saying, where do I find this guy? And they say, well, the ancient prophecies say he's born in Bethlehem. Where's the disconnect there? Is Herod agreeing that this is the Messiah? If he's going by the prophecies about the Messiah, doesn't that mean he believes this is the Messiah? And he wants to wipe him out. He wants to protect his own throne. I think there's a key here. There's a tension between knowing and believing. You see, sometimes we read in scripture, you probably have Micah 5, 2, and, and some of this passage in Matthew 2, and the verses that were read in Luke chapter 2. You probably have a lot of that memorized if you've been around the church for any amount of time or if you come out on Christmas Eve. These are the verses we go back to and we go back to and we know them. But do we really know them? Like there's a big difference between knowing God's promise and being able to recite Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's another thing to know that promise in practice, to believe it, to go out in faith on those words of God. Herod knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem because his chief priests and scribes told him. But he didn't know it. It didn't change anything in his heart. He didn't believe it. He didn't take it any further from a head knowledge. It was just simply academic knowledge to him. It was part of his strategy in securing his throne and his kingdom. He didn't receive it with his heart. He just knew it in his mind. So many people know where they can find Jesus. They've been presented with the truth about Jesus but it's never become real to them. They know Christmas is all about the newborn king, born of the virgin, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. 
but they don't know it yet. They don't know what it means beyond December 24th at 6 p.m. when we gather for our Christmas Eve service. And now we have two showings, 10.30 as well. After that, it's like, okay, next year. Certainly not the joy that carries them through every day. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 2. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Herod knows where to find the boy. Now he's trying to figure out how old the boy might be to narrow it down a little bit. Verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come to worship him. Herod obviously has different plans than what he's letting the wise men in on. And they can probably figure it out because it's a secret meeting. They probably know something is afoot. Trying to take matters into his own hands, Herod was. Trying to secure what he thought would be a preferred future. One where the king of kings wasn't interrupting his own plans for the kingdom. We tend to have our own ideas about what joy means to us and what would bring us joy. Hence the reason for making a wish list. Here are the items, in no particular order, that will bring me joy in this season. Number one, two, three. You probably have that list in your mind of what you want in this season. And maybe you try and be a little more spiritual with the lingo and say, no, it's what I need in this season. We think we have the idea of what would really secure us joy. Do you know what I found? Um, That question gets harder to answer as you get older. What do you want for Christmas? Do you find that? I don't know what I want. What do I need? I end up putting together a list of really practical items that I'm going to go to the store and buy myself, like hardware and tools uh, that I know I'm going to use. But if you want to buy me something, I guess you can buy me this and I don't have to pick it up in a few weeks' time. It, it kind of loses its magic, its excitement. It's not as much of a wish list. It's getting harder and harder to know what to ask for at Christmas. I think it gets harder the older you get. I think that's why Jesus talks about childlike faith. To be able to ascertain the desires and longings of our heart, we grow callous to them. We don't really know what we need, what we want in this season. Maybe it's cynicism. We've, we've tried enough things that have just come up short and shallow and the joy lasted for a moment, but we don't experience it today. So I, I don't know what else to try next. I don't know what to put on my list this year. Herod thought he knew what was best, but in fact, his own pursuit of happiness led him astray and caused him to miss out on the real joy that was at hand. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, the wise men. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
I'm amazed at the sensitivity of these guys who are Gentiles from another country with other gods, with other customs, to be able to resonate with the dream God was giving them, warning them not to return to Herod. Like, the way in which God's providential plan is working in correspondence with however the Holy Spirit or the aspects of creation around these guys that they were observing in the sky correlated. That just blows my mind. His ways are so much higher than our ways. I I always pictured the star moving across the sky when I read this. They followed the star, it went ahead of them until it rested over the place where the child lay. But when do you see stars? At night, I was hoping somebody would say, you know, after you punched or hit or something like that, but it's at night, isn't it? When, when dusk approaches and things start getting dark, and is, is it the North Star that you see first in the sky? And the star lights up as it begins to get darker. As the darkness increases, so does the light of the star. And I don't know that the star moved across the sky, did or didn't. God is certainly capable of that. But I just picture the darkness approaching, the star getting brighter. They're in Jerusalem trying to figure this out because it's daytime. They can't figure out exactly where the star is. And as it gets darker after Herod sends them off and night approaches, they can see that star over the place where the child lays. I was just thinking about that imagery, light and darkness. Maybe we could go back and talk about hope, but I think joy has an aspect of this too. As the world gets darker, as society gets darker, as the days get darker, as we get older and more cynical and more jaded and life just seems a little more dreary and dark, the light of Jesus shines brighter into that, doesn't it? Like you look around at our society today, you look at people's faces, you hear the amount of laughter going on out in society. Wasn't it weird when I laughed like that? Because we don't hear a lot of that. I say all the time, man, when was the last time I had just a big, deep belly laugh? I need to do that more. As the world gets darker, doesn't the joy of Jesus shine brighter? Doesn't it stick out more? Doesn't it stick out like a sore thumb in society? When somebody's having a good day and humming a jolly tune and saying, Merry Christmas, it's like, what's wrong with you? Doesn't it stick out? As the days get darker, the joy of Jesus gets brighter. That star is shining in the sky and leads them to the place where the child was. Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. You know that can be translated? They joyed a great joy very much. Which isn't really proper English. They joyed a great joy very much. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? It's pretty demonstrative. They joyed a great joy very much. It's like Elf with Will Ferrell, right? He's just over the top. These wise men are over the top with the joy that they're experiencing. The grammar doesn't even really work. They joyed a great joy very much. I love that. I think that should be the proper translation. I remember when Reese was one or two years old and he had this obsession. He he still loves cars. But school buses, he loves school buses. And where we lived in New Brunswick, just around the block on the road by the Kennebecasis River, there was a school bus parked in somebody's driveway. I assume they drove it for school. I don't think it was theirs. But when we would get in the car, Reese knew that we were going to be driving past the school bus. And he would start to get excited. 
and his whole body would go. And he would say, scubas, scubas, scubas. He couldn't pronounce his S's, so it was like, scubas, scubas, scubas. And we would get in the car. We'd say, Reese, buddy, we're going to see the school bus. He'd go, And we would start driving out the driveway, and he'd say, I see it, I see it. And there's no way he could see it, because it was still around the corner, way down the road. And we would drive by, and he'd go, And he would see it out the window. It was the funniest little obsession. But that's what I think about when I think of, he joyed a great joy, very much. Just like a totally complete, visceral body experience, the whole body flexing in his little car seat. The term joy here is kara, kara, which means joy because of grace. Kara is closely linked to, closely linked to charis, which means grace. Grace is a gift or blessing extended through Jesus to mankind. It's something we don't deserve. It's something we can't earn. We can't pay for. Therefore, grace is a gift. You know, God gives gifts. God gave a gift at Christmas. The wise men gave gifts. They presented their gifts. We didn't really talk about the gifts, did we? I jumped right over those. Joy is only possible because of grace. It's only possible because of grace. That's the definition for that word, kara. Joy because of grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it on the shelf of a store or in your web browser. It's joy because of grace. Grace carries with it this idea that God took the initiative. God stepped into our world and became a man. We didn't force him to it. We didn't twist his arm or bag him until he sent Jesus. He just sent Jesus. And Jesus came and was born, God in the flesh. That's grace. Jesus is God's gift. This is how God demonstrates his love towards us. He gives us the gift of his son. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And because of that gift, we can experience joy. Joy because of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that nobody can boast. No one can brag. Joy is only found in God's gift of grace. There's a gift that will bring you true and lasting joy. You know, here's the thing about these books. Here's why we don't remember this anymore. Because it didn't last. It worked for a time, a long time. And now it's part of American Christmas tradition and nostalgia and memory. But it's not anymore. You can't find any of these. You know what? The gifts that I picked out of here when I was a kid and put on my list, whether I got them or didn't, I don't have them anymore. I don't think I have a single one. Because they didn't last. The batteries died. It broke. I lost it under the neighbor's doorstep in Riverview, New Brunswick. I'm pretty sure if I went back today, I know exactly where that jackknife would be. But it's not with me anymore. Because it didn't last. Those gifts don't last. 
You know what's crazy? We make, we make a list for Christmas every year. Maybe you don't, but you get asked every year, what do you want for Christmas? There's always something else to throw on that list. But you know what? I, I struggle to remember what I got last year for Christmas because it just doesn't last. Of course, I remember some things, but 10 years ago, I don't remember them. I probably don't have them. My wife has this incredible knack of remembering gifts. I'll go into the closet, I'll pull out a sweater, and I'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't know I had this sweater. Where did this come from? And she'll know birthday, Christmas, what year, who was from, how much it was, what store it's from. She'll probably still have the receipt. I can't do that. I don't remember those gifts. The gifts don't last. They don't last. It's not about those gifts. Jesus lasts. The thing about this book was the pursuit was the most exciting part. Seeing the images, making your list, dreaming, wondering, wishing, wanting. And then once you got that thing, you realized not as big as it looked in the commercial. Batteries didn't last quite as long. I thought the helicopter would actually fly. Yeah, you resonate with that one? Not just make buzzy sounds on the floor. I thought that. I thought it'd be bigger. I thought it'd be more fun. I thought it'd be faster. I thought it'd be louder. I thought it would be more, and it wasn't. Put whatever gift you want into that description, and that's probably your experience. It just doesn't live up to the hype. Every year, they would put out a new Christmas wish book because there were more items to try and grab your attention and fill that void. But the items will never fill that void. The whole gift-giving thing is an interesting Christmas tradition, isn't it? I got three nephews in the family this Christmas, three brand new nephews. Probably not going to get them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I can't afford it, doesn't make a lot of sense for them. But it does for Jesus. People put a lot of thought into these gifts. The most common is that they speak to Jesus' nature and his ministry. Frankincense is incense. They burn incense at times of prayer. It speaks about prayer. It speaks about Jesus' ministry as our intercessor, the bridge between God and man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Philippians 2, he emptied himself. He came in flesh, took the form of a servant, even death on a cross. Jesus is the bridge between God and man, the intercessor frankincense. And then there is um, uh, gold, speaks of Jesus as king. We know he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Myrrh was used to preserve bodies at burial. It refers to Jesus' sacrifice for mankind, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Each of these gifts speak to who Jesus is, but the gifts could also speak to the blessings we receive through Jesus. That he is the ultimate gift. Relationship, redemption, and reign. Through Jesus, we can have a relationship with the Father. Frankincense. We have adoption. Sons, we cry out, Abba, Father. Through Jesus, we have redemption. We don't see corruption. Myrrh. We don't perish. We have the hope of glory. Glorified bodies, incorruptible. Through Jesus, we are children of the king, gold. We're citizens of heaven, heirs, inheritance, riches in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, Ephesians. 
See, the wise men came looking for a king in a palace, and they ended up presenting their gifts to a baby in his mother's arms. When we truly find Jesus, we really experience joy. A few scriptures for you. John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Where did the disciples find joy? Jesus says, my joy will be in you. Your joy will be full. John chapter 16 and verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. No one can take that joy from you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that not just up here, but here? John 17 verse 13. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you believe that? You can have the joy of Jesus fulfilled in yourself. What would that look like to be full of Jesus' joy? And that joy is reciprocal. When we experience the joy of Jesus, it causes joy elsewhere. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. Dave and Andrew attention to these verses when they lit the joy candle. Verse 7. Just so I tell you, even as the shepherd left the 99 to get the one and carry it back on his shoulders, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In verse 10, just three verses later, another parable. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I love that. It's reciprocal. The angels came bringing good news of great joy. And when we as sinners stand at the foot of the cross and give it over to him and his joy and abundant life overwhelm us in forgiveness and redemption, there's joy before the angels of heaven. That's a beautiful picture. Because I love the picture of the angels showing up in the darkness of the night to preach joy to those shepherds. You know, you get to shout joy back to heaven when you respond to the joy of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Jesus isn't just a crutch to carry you through the difficult memories of the holidays. Jesus offers genuine joy and that joy is only found in receiving God's gifts of love. You may have been disappointed in past gifts that you've received or didn't receive at Christmas. Can I assure you? Can I assure you? God's gift is the greatest gift you could ever receive. You don't need to hold on to the gift receipt because you won't be disappointed. When you give it over to Jesus and his joy floods your heart and life, and you experience his forgiveness, you receive the Holy Spirit who slowly begins to change you from the inside out. In a moment, you're a new creation, but then over a lifetime, you get to see the practical elements of God's grace working in and through you and transforming you and making you new, it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Joy 
can only be found in Jesus. Amen? Would you stand as we pray for lunch up in the cafe? I'd invite you to join us. It's a busy day. We've got a Honduras team meeting. We're going to be tearing apart the stage for the Christmas Yarn Kids musical that's coming up Saturday and Sunday. I hope you're excited for that. Make sure you sign up for that. Would you join me as we pray today? God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for the opportunity to be here together, to look to your word, to think about those wise men and their search, their journey that resulted in joy. Joy at the foot of a young mother holding her newborn baby. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for initiating this relationship with us. We now have the chance to respond by faith because you already gave the gift of your son, knowing that some would receive, some would reject. But the offer remains the same. And our names are written on the gift because this is great joy for all the people, even Magi from the East. God, help us to stop looking for joy in the places we expect to find it, what society has to offer. Help us to stop going back to these silly wish lists that we think will secure some sort of happiness or pleasure, but help us to turn to you. Jesus, would you be on the throne of our hearts? I think of that little acronym, J-O-Y. Starts with Jesus, then we put others first, and then you put yourself last. Jesus, help us to put you first. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.